From University of Alberta Alumni Relations, it's What the Job. I'm Matt Ray. I really am a lifelong learner, and I love, you know, I love learning, and I love being in a classroom, not not only being in front of it, uh, because you all, there's always something you're going to glean from it, right? Be it um, a new interesting person that you meet or the content, you're going to get something out of it. This episode, I talked to Wendy Wilton. Wendy is a training consultant and certified executive coach. Wendy and I talk about what makes a good leader and how a teaching degree can actually offer many different career paths. What the Job is made possible with the support of our affinity partner, TD Insurance. Did you know that through the TD Insurance Mellish Monarchs program, University of Alberta alumni are entitled to preferred rates on car, home, condo, and renter's insurance? Save even more by bundling your car and home insurance. To learn more about how you can save, please visit tdinsurance.com slash alumni. So what's your name and what's your job? I'm Wendy Wilton, and I am a leadership development facilitator, consultant, and executive coach. I think you have the longest title <laughs> so far of the people that I've talked to. Can you explain a little bit about what you do, like a daily basis kind of thing? A daily basis, it is a mixed bag. Uh, most of my work is in classrooms, so I am actually facilitating, you know, full day um, of uh, activities and learning for people interested in leadership development. I Actually, I teach at the U of A's uh, executive education, uh, as well as on campus for the human resources folks. They've changed their name so many times, I can't, I can't remember <laughs> what they're called anymore. Um, but I do, uh, I do a supervisory leadership program from, for them and teach in the leadership development. Um, it's called the Leadership Development Program at Exec Ed. And who are the people that mostly take these classes? Mostly new managers or leaders uh, who are interested in just expanding their skills or uh, who have worked through the ranks and now all of a sudden find themselves um, supervising or leading people and they just don't know what to do. So uh, we also get some people sent to us to be fixed. You know, (laughs) they're, they're not good. They shouldn't be a people leader and you know they're kind of thrown into the mix and um and we've had some incredible success stories around around um life-changing life-changing yeah i was gonna ask can people be fixed can you absolutely absolutely well i mean they they're not really broken we know that for sure but it's it is just kind of that uh helping them to become more self-aware around their strengths and their challenges and you know really leadership is all about relationship and it's all about people and um, i think once people kind of get over their own barriers to being fabulous um then they're set for success what are some of the barriers that people have uh, in terms of being good leaders? I think a lot of history. Oftentimes we have folks who will who will have worked in organizations for a long time and uh, have bad experiences with their own managers and leaders and then kind of check out. Um, we call them Larrys. And uh, <laughs> sorry for anyone who's named Larry. <laughs> but uh, we call them Larrys, those people who, who have lost their willingness. So they're still able to do their job, but they have disengaged for some reason. Um, and I think that that is 
those are those are people it's just a confidence thing to know that you can make a change you can behave differently and get different results than what your manager or leader did and um, I think that oftentimes people just need that awareness piece I do want to get to your work history but I'm also just fascinated by the topic of leadership so I'm just going to (laughs) keep you bet um what are what are some of the traits that make good for a good leader? Uh, it's really interesting. One of the one of the traits that the research is pointing to now that makes the best leaders is empathy. So being able to um, really read people's emotions, to be able to deal with people's emotions, to not kind of get down in the dumps with them, um, but to be able to be there for them in a very empathic way. And there's you know lots of researchers around that right now. Um, vulnerability is also a, a big one. Um, lots of work. You've probably heard of Brene Brown. She's sort of a leader in, in this area right now. And um, that is one of her key things. I mean, we can't have relationships without being vulnerable. So uh, that is, those are a couple of the key components mm. to, to great leaders. How do, one thing I'm always wondering about leadership in terms of, you know, whether it's a business or wherever, how do good leaders balance, say, the direction which they know the company has to go or mm-hmm. the institution has to go and the needs of their employees, say? Like, how do they manage these different relationships or, say, with if you're like middle management, how do you yeah. balance that relationship with where where your boss is telling you to go and the people that work under you? Yeah, it, and it can be really tough. I know when it comes to things like organizational change, or when organizations are are bought or you know sold, culture changes, values change, um, and sometimes the you know what I've seen of those middle managers, they really are the meat in the sandwich. And as you say, they're being squeezed from the top. Um, and they also have this huge responsibility and accountability to their people. Uh, and it, that's uh, it, absolutely the toughest place to be. And I think I see a lot of managers who leave organizations because of that. Um, and it is, it again, can you live with the decisions that have been made? Can you live with the new culture? Um, can you align your own personal values uh, and be able to communicate that in a way that works for your people? Um, but I know, you know, again, from, <laughs> from personal experience, that is why I left my first sort of big mm. um, real job is because the organizational culture changed so much that I knew that I, it was not my company anymore. Um, so I think that there's that awareness piece and it is lots of conversation and, you know, what are you willing to live with and, uh, you know, how much is too much. Uh, you talk a little bit about culture, yes. uh, and I'm interested in how leadership impacts culture or affects mm-hmm. culture, and how that culture can change. So, you know, I talked about is someone who has barriers to being a leader fixable, and you said yes. How fixable is, say, a really negative culture in a workplace? Uh, it is. It is hard. It is hard. Um, it is fixable. It takes a long time. Uh, I have a client that I'm working with right now that is in the midst of that. They've had a very, uh, very toxic, mm-hmm. I would say, culture for a very long time. They have experienced a lot of bullying, in, which has been let go, and leaders were turning a blind eye. Um, and they have, uh, they have now embarked on, you know, it's like zero tolerance. If you are a bully, 
you're not going to be a part of this organization. And they have uh, freed up many people's futures. <laughs> and uh, um, it has been incredible. I mean, people, people notice, and they notice actions. Words are words are words. When you say we will not tolerate bullying and a bully is relieved of their duties, um, then people take note. So uh, it is hard, but it's years. It's years and years. Um, And this organization, their senior leadership changed probably about two and a half years ago, uh, maybe three years. And they are now just seeing kind of the 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 cultural shift. Mm. They're they're just getting to that tipping point. It's interesting to me, too, because I always think that leadership dictates culture in so many ways Mm -hmm. that if you had a very toxic leader, Mm -hmm. it's they're going to beget toxic leaders beneath them, right? That's the people are going to emulate that behavior. Absolutely. And it becomes a norm. And the other thing is there's lots at stake for people in terms of, you know, is this bad enough that I'm going to put my financial um, security at risk. Mm. You know, we are, it's, it's so complex and we are such complex beings. So sometimes we will just put up with so much. It's, it's that boiled frog syndrome. You know, you put a frog yeah. in cold water and he'll boil to death because, you know, he just will sit and just kind of get used to it. So, um, yeah, it's, it's tough. It is tough. Um, how long have you been teaching leadership classes? Going on probably about 15 years now. Wow. Yeah. And like, uh, how has it evolved and changed over that period? Or is it? I, 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 tr- I believe it has changed, absolutely. I think we are uh, in an era of significantly um, more humanistic leadership. Um, even in sort of the most historically you know, almost militaristic organizations, uh, they are understanding that it's people. People mm. people are organizations, and you have to treat people well, and you have to treat people with respect. And I think that that is becoming more and more the norm in all organizations of all types. And that goes back to your comment about empathy. Absolutely. You, you bet. So when you are planning a, a course mm-hmm. what are uh, do you have a, a whole suite of different courses that you teach you that, and and what are some of the topics oh you... my goodness we do a lot of uh, self-awareness um pieces so we, i've got a uh, battery of inventories that i use for people so the myers-briggs you've probably heard mm-hmm. about um there's one around conflict and self-awareness which is the strength deployment inventory or the sti there's true colors which is around personality and disc which is around behavior and um emotional intelligence um there's eqi 2.0 that allows you to not only um they've got a self component but you can also do a 360 with that i've got a leadership competence based 360 that you know tons and tons of inventories and that's usually where we start is from that self-awareness piece Mm -hmm. because you have to know yourself in order to be able to really understand others Um, and I think that that always uh, you know we will do a Myers-Briggs and people have these amazing epiphanies you know even just around how I get my information that that extroversion do I get it from the outside world and the environment and talking and other people or do I get it from internal from you know introversion so that's thought and reflection and um, more of a, a 
reflective sort of mode, don't mind being by myself, prefer to write, uh, even just that simple awareness of myself and the people that I'm working with will help to open up conversations around, oh, how are we doing things? Oh, I'm so sorry. Here you are in a pod. And that works for me because I like to talk things out, but it's driving you crazy because, you know, you don't have any quiet time to reflect. And so some of the the simplest little epiphanies have the biggest impact on teams and and on individuals and organizations. Yeah, it almost seems like developing empathy. Absolutely. Better understanding the people around you because better understanding yourself. And we also go very much from the the premise that it's not wrong, it's just different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And speaking of knowing yourself, mm-hmm. let's finally go back. <gasps> okay. <laughs> so I, I mentioned I wanted to kind of track your mm-hmm. uh, career trajectory. So let's go back to U of A. You said okay. you t- you studied education. I did. I did. And when you started, mm-hmm. were you thinking I'm going to teach high school, grade school, teach? Neither, actually. Mm-hmm. I came to the University of Alberta because it was um, one of two universities that offered an undergraduate degree in speech pathology. Oh. And so that was my my goal. And um, to be perfectly candid, I, I originally from Manitoba, and I had an older brother who went to University of Toronto, mm-hmm. so I knew I couldn't go east. <laughs> so I came out west, and, and that's how I ended up at U of A. Nice. Yeah. And, and we had uh, so the pre-year you could either do sciences or education and I chose education Um, and I had so much fun my first year uh, that I didn't quite make the cut in terms of um, in terms of the the grades I needed to get in I was just short I was uh, to be fair I was just short but um, I uh, yeah I <laughs> I didn't make the cut so I just stayed uh, in education and mm-hmm. finished out my degree and um, and anticipated that I would teach and uh, um, I did my degree in three and a half years. I took some uh, some summer school uh, in Manitoba that was transferable um, at the U of M and uh, finished my degree. And, you know, when you start looking for jobs in January, it's pretty tough. So um, yeah. I subbed for a little bit. And uh, that was when I realized that... You know, teaching might not be for me (laughs) in terms of children. Um, And I was telling you this story earlier about the grade four student who was being, and there was one in every class. And, uh, you know, he was just being a little bit of a a disruption all day. And I said, all right, well, you're going to have to get the work done before you go. So I'm going to, you know, you're going to have to stay after school. Uh, To which he replied that... I couldn't keep him after school because both his parents were lawyers and they would sue me (laughs) if I kept him after school. So that was the moment that I went, huh, maybe this is not for me. (laughs) Yeah. In the classroom with kids, I imagine. Yes. It'll be especially patient, but... <laughs> Absolutely. So um, you stopped subbing then? Did you go on I do- did. So what I actually, I continued to sub, but I also, um, I wasn't getting a ton of jobs, of course, because midway through the year, people already have their subs and uh, kind of in chosen. And so I started working for the phone company. Mm. And I worked for the phone company. Uh, I was a 411 operator. So I handed out phone numbers and would try to work. They were, of course, 24 hours. So I would try to work a later shift so that if I got some subbing during the day, I'd sub during the day and then uh, and then work at night. Um, and, uh, you know, some 
some funny stories around that, of course, as well. Um, but that began to, uh, it got to the point where it was, you know, it was getting mostly working nights, not getting a lot of subbing. So I took a job as an admin assistant, um, which really was uh, some great skill building for sure. It was very humbling because, of course, when I graduated and, you know, came out of university early, um, I knew everything. I was, <laughs> I was the smartest person in every room. <laughs> And so uh, the boss that I was working for, uh, you know, she didn't have a degree, and I thought I was so much smarter than her. And she actually called me in one day and said, you know, I know that this isn't your, this is not the last stop on your, your career journey. It's probably the first, but I can't give you a good reference if, if this is how you're going to behave because I see the eye rolling and I hear the sighs when I'm, when I'm asking you to do things. And so it was a very humbling experience. And I think one of those, um, one of those moments where you realize, you know, smarten up, this is not who you are. So, um, so yeah, so then I went on from there into training at, uh, at the phone company and, um, Ultimately, that was kind of my f- entry into the learning and development world, um, and I did uh, training on a phone system that we that we had, um, and ultimately wanted to get into. Uh, it was a time of the quality movement in the early '90s. Probably too young for that, but anyway, um, and yeah, that was that was sort of my my career. So those jobs you took in the early days, like mm-hmm. with the phone company first, and then as the admin or assistant office assistant, mm-hmm. were those jobs that you took sort of out of necessity? Or was it just like these? Are, I need a job, and I apply for this, mm-hmm. or did you target them? Uh, it was it was pretty much I need a job, and uh, and knew that they would get me uh, further along in the organization and get exposure to different uh, to different people in the organization. But it really was more more necessity. You know, wanted to work during the day <laughs> rather than at five o'clock at night or or overnight or uh, those sorts of things, um, and you know, regular pay, benefits, all that good stuff. So um, ultimately, I wanted to get into the training at the that was kind of the destination. So I did did get there uh, eventually after a couple of years. Oh, so you knew going in, you were like, I eventually want to get into training. Yes, oh. yes. What yeah. what made you interested in that? It was, uh, actually, I took a course. It was a, um, like a customer service course that the, that, um, the company was offering. And it was really fun and different. And it was truly more training, engaging sort of training, you know, toys on the table and all of that sort of stuff. Um, not kind of formal teaching. So the facilitators were fantastic. And I thought they were such an inspiration. And I thought, you know, that's ultimately where I want to end up. And uh, I didn't ever get into that particular part of training at the phone company, but did get into some technical uh, training. And then, um, and then I left because it was bought by another organization. (laughs) And that's, you know, to the previous story about when culture changes and it's hard um the values of the organization shifted uh to the point that it just it wasn't working for me anymore and then you left and then I left 
And where did you go from there? Well, I got um, a killer package, actually. <laughs> so I went to my director. It was just, you know, when my first child, I was pregnant with my first child. And uh, I said to the director, like, I don't think I want to come back after, you know, after I have this baby. And I know that you're looking at decreasing headcount. And I've seen the packages, which were amazing. Um, and I would really like a package. And I was not the demographic that they were looking to mm -hmm. get rid of. Uh, but she was delightful. And she said, you know, if this is really how you feel, I would rather have you leaving happy um, than quitting and staying in the organization. So uh, so I, I got the package, uh, went on, did my master's degree, um, took some flying lessons, <laughs> did a couple of levels of scuba certification, um, and then oh, and had another baby in, in that time. And then many of the people that I worked with in the phone company subsequently had left. So people were phoning me up and saying, hey, do you have some time? We've got some development work. Are you interested? So I started consulting at that point. Hmm. It mm -hmm. seems like you're not afraid of change or, or challenges, right? Like you shift from these things. Like, you know, I mean, just in my own mind, thinking about, oh, I'm just going to leave this job now that I'm having a baby. Like that would be terrifying. But. Yeah, yeah. It, it really was. I mean, that security, uh, the... Um, that it was hard to leave for sure we had when we were bought by the the new company uh, my salary went up by 50 five zero percent wow so uh so it was really hard to leave but i also knew that i had to because i was i mean i was exhausted i was feeling it physically um just the disconnect so i knew that i that i i had to make that decision um and i yeah no i don't love change <laughs> by any means uh, but i think you know when change is necessary mm -hmm. you just you have to you just dive off the cliff and you know know that you'll be okay maybe it's more of a matter of self-awareness in the mm. sense that you recognize you weren't going to be a good fit if you, you stayed you bet yeah and I I mean now to be fair I, I don't know if this is getting too personal but I was married at the time and so it was not like I mm -hmm. had to you know really really worry about putting food on the table and keeping a roof over my children's heads uh, sure. so that made it a little easier and it was tight it's still a hard decision um, but that definitely made it a little easier to to go on to different things so then you did a master's degree mm -hmm. and then you started doing some consultancy work yes and how did so you said they they called you up was mm -hmm. that um, like thinking about other people who are like oh I want to maybe reach out to places I've worked at and, mm -hmm. and do sort of consultancy work like that was it just a matter of staying in touch or just that you left a good impression or you know I really I think it was just the the good impression um I wasn't I I mean I would like to knock on wood right now before I say this but I've never really had to look for work um, even when my uh, when it became necessity to work more, so you know, no longer married, don't have that uh, that safety net. Uh, I just kind of organically got more and more busy, mm -hmm. um, and um, you know, it just I, I feel very blessed by that. But I think it's just you know doing good work. How did you end up then? Uh, doing your teaching here and mm -hmm. things like that. So one of the uh, one of the 
um, consulting gigs that I had was to do some course development around the leadership development program. Um, and that was a, um, in conjunction with the university proper, um, the, the non-academic staff association, as well as executive education. Um, so I worked on it and um, did the materials and the, the coursework and the, all of that sort of stuff. It's an eight-day program. And uh, then I went, well, hey, do you need someone to teach it? Because I can teach it. I mean, I know it inside and out. I wrote it. So, you know, wh- what does that look like? And they said, sure. And so that's when I started teaching that. And I think I've been, gosh, 14 years now teaching mm. that particular course. And um, and out of that has, um, has netted other, you know, relationships with people who've gone on to different organizations who will want one-off workshops or team building. Um, I have uh, had a client. Um, I also worked for some other um, educational institutions, which I shall not name <laughs> in this podcast. Uh, but I did work with some other um, institutions who the people went on to different organizations and they would phone me up and say, you know, can you you know, do something like what we had you do at that organization? And um, so it just kind of, it just kind of ballooned. It's interesting to me too, how a teaching degree can be so versatile. I don't yes. think people often think of them that way. Yeah. They think you take a teaching degree, you will be a teacher. And you are a teacher. Yes. Yeah. But not in the way that I think people would expect. You bet. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. And, you know, it's one of those also... um, I really am a lifelong learner and I love, you know, I love learning and I love being in a classroom, not, not only being in front of it, mm-hmm. uh, because you all, there's always something you're going to glean from it, right? Be it um, a new interesting person that you meet or the content, you're going to get something out of it. So, uh, so that's the other thing that this has, and having my own consultancy has really done, is allowed me to branch out where I want to. So I mentioned earlier that I've um, been doing some work around executive coaching uh, so went to uh, did the the um uh, graduate certificate in executive coaching at Royal Roads. Um, and, uh, and that has spawned a whole kind of new arm of uh, my consultancy um, and doing some work around systems coaching. Um, and that the program is uh, all over the world. So doing the certification and building in a little fabulous travel here and there <laughs> to, to get this certification. It's just, yeah, it's been, it's been amazing. How do you find uh, teaching adult learners? I hope nobody takes offense to this, but adults really are just big children (laughs) 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 who have coffee instead of juice. And that's it. it, uh, They come to you saying their parents are lawyers. That's about it. (laughs) Yes. Um, But it's, you know, I think when you... One of our key premises is to hold people whole and capable. And so we never, ever come in saying that, we, you know, I, I know everything because I don't. And the people in the room, absolutely that, as I just mentioned, that vastness of knowledge always comes, comes out and comes through. And when people, you know, feel seen, heard, and understood – um, it goes a long way in getting getting that engagement, and um, we always have great feedback for for the programs around how quickly we um, build team 
how quickly people are willing and able to become vulnerable. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, it's pretty amazing to watch. I'm also interested in what, you know, for someone who is thinking I might want to get into uh, coaching or mm-hmm. uh, career training or something like that, what are the sorts of skills that they might need mm-hmm. or that they should identify within themselves if they want to pursue that line of work? Well, I think, um, I think presenting, number one, uh, you need to be, you need to have a passion for it. As much as I have people coming to me all the time saying, I want to be you. I want your job. I want to do exactly what you do. It's not that glamorous. <laughs> um, and particularly, I travel a fair bit. Uh, you know, when you work a full day, um, have your bag in the car and head to the airport and get to wherever you're going at 11 o'clock at night and crash in the hotel and get up and do the same jazz hands and, you know, song <laughs> and dance the next day. It's exhausting. It is exhausting. And it's hard work. It is, it is really hard work. So I think... Y- y- the you know make sure you have presentation skills um make sure that you've got some strategies around your own resilience because this will take it out of you uh i think volunteer where you can for sure to do presentations to um you know to tell your story um those are kind of mostly the key things. Uh, have you ever had a sort of weird work experience that led you to question your job? Yes, that, that's a great question. Uh, when I was working for the phone company, one of the jobs that I did was I worked on the message relay for the deaf. So this was before cell phones that could text and, and you know, all the techno- great technology that we have today. So uh, people would call, a hearing person would phone me, and I would type, to a, um, a hearing impaired person who would then read it out on their little, they called it a TTY machine. So uh, I had one fella uh, who was looking for, it was a, it was a um, hearing impaired man who was calling a transsexual prostitute uh, to see Ooh. if he could, um, you know, engage in some services. <laughs> and uh, I just sat, go, you know, as I'm typing, and you have to read exactly what is typed on the screen and I just was reading words that I thought I never again will say those words out loud (laughs) so it was very it was awkward and um, that was one of those moments where I went "Mm, this is I need to do something different (laughs) (laughs) okay now we're going to do our little lightning round as always a lightning round is brought to you by TD Insurance our preferred car home condo and renter's insurance affinity partner. So All right. I'm going to ask a bunch of questions and just from First the top of your head. First thing that comes to mind. Okay. Have you ever been fired? No. I have outweighed organizations. I've had, I refuse to, to quit um, and haven't been fired, but I've closed a couple of, uh, you know, a drugstore when I was 17 <laughs> um, and another drugstore when I was 18. I don't know. It wasn't anything I did, but. What's something that you wish people knew about your job or that people misunderstand about your job? That it is really hard work. And part of uh, what makes it look easy is that you embrace the hard work. I was going to say, and also, you know, teaching is such a performance. You've got to be on. You can't not be on. Mm. Um, What's advice that you might have give someone who feels like they're in a, they're stuck in their career? Uh, Make a change. 
Um, what do you think you'd be doing if you weren't in this job? I'd probably be a barista at Starbucks. That's <laughs> I think that's my retirement plan. If you could go back in time and talk to yourself just after you graduate, uh, graduated, what would be your advice? Smarten up and um, work a bit harder than, you know, work as hard as you party. Work as hard as you find. That's good <laughs> advice right there. In respect to your education or your career path, is there anything that you wish you had done but didn't? I wish I would have um, given myself more credit. I think I um, I didn't ever, and this sounds, I, this is going to sound so wrong, but I didn't realize that I was as smart as I was. Uh, until I did my master's degree while having two babies and working um, and won the Governor General's gold medal um, for academic excellence, which I just looked and went, dang, now had I known this, you know, 10 years ago when I was in high school, imagine what I could be doing. Well, Wendy, you've been an excellent guest. Thank you so much. I'm glad we got to talk so much about leadership. As I said, it's something I'm just generally interested in. Cool. Uh, So thanks so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. It was fun. Thanks to my guest, Wendy Wilton, for coming on the show and sharing her career journey. And a reminder to all of you, if you're looking for a way to connect with your UAlberta community for networking, mentorship, or volunteer experience, check out UAlberta Switchboard at uab.ca slash sboard. It's free to use and full of great opportunities. That's it for this episode. For What the Job, I'm Matt Ray. See you next time.